This is the Talk Editions podcast. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's, it creates something in your mind uh, with the music, and it's really weird, a bit uh, an impression of, of you took drug. But I think I experienced that when I was 10 for the first time, and after, from this moment, I wanted to be able to recreate it. I am Laura, the flutist of TAC. I'm Madison Greenstone. I am the clarinetist of TAC. And today we are talking with Julian Malasana. Julian Malasana considers his compositional prism to be sound energy, not timbre nor time, not dynamics, pitch, nor the sound space, but rather this element straddling all of these, one less palpable and less quantifiable. By setting up a range of entities embodying different stages of such energy, he focuses on the direction or absence of direction inherent in each entity. With this conception of directionality, he articulates these entities and the relations among them in a musical form, in which entities interact either in a dialectical structure of tension and release, or in a system generated by subtle gradations of tension. His recent work has been an inquiry into the relationship between form, this dialectic, and material, the articulated sound entities. Welcome, Julian Malasena, to our podcast. Thank you for chatting with us today. It's a and, pleasure. Um, yeah. It is nice to see your face. <laughs> yes, it's nice to see also your face. Well, maybe so just a little bit of context for listeners here. Mm-hmm. Um, TAC has kind of been a... I was going to say a, like a, a fangirl of Julian's work for a while, a fan entity <laughs> of Julian's work for a while, um, you know, creeping it on the sound cloud and other mediums. Um, I think the first time that we talked about your work, Julian, was over a tech email. And one of us, I don't know, maybe me, maybe someone else, I can't tell the difference anymore, sent out one of your pieces over email chain to everyone. I think in the text, just like, fuck yes, listen to this. And everyone's response was just like, fuck yes, fuck Ooh, yes. I didn't know that. I mean, this was several years ago. Yeah, and we we just became really enamored with your work and the type of tenacious curiosity that you bring to um, the sound worlds that you're creating and and how those kind of morph and digest themselves over the course of a piece. So when we began thinking about who we wanted to commission for our for our concerts last year... Julian had been kind of on our, our wish list for a while. Julian's piece, Eight Minutes After Boiling, uh, was supposed to be premiered by us last spring, so spring 2020. And in adapting those plans, uh, what we've done at this point is made an audio and video recording that will be released into the world probably in a few short weeks. There's just a little context nugget, and maybe we can um, jump right in. So the title, Eight Minutes After Boiling, can you, can you give us a little bit of, of background on what that means? Okay. It's really simple, in fact. Huh? So I, for this piece, I chose the title at the very end. Of, so I already knew the piece at the very end. I don't remember if I totally finished the piece, but I was at the very end. So I, I already knew what was the piece. And uh, the sound world of the piece... Uh, evoke a little bit the sound world of kitchen, in fact. Huh? Uh, mm. It was not on purpose. It's what happened. It was emerged. 
from the different sounds which uh, create emotion and uh, in with different sounds which make me, me imagine some relationships to create musical situation and at the end I have a piece and uh, I felt that a lot of this uh, uh, musical situation came from uh, emotion that I, I have with the sounds of the kitchen. Uh, it's really cliche for a French guy, but uh, uh, I'm not doing that at every piece, huh? uh, but uh, on this on this one, it was a bit distant one. You know, when uh, Ellery has some moments, some uh, uh, part where he's doing a sound, it sounds a bit like scrambling uh, eggs, you know, a lot of things like that. And just it just happened, in fact. Huh? Uh, it's not totally hazard, it's my subconscious. Uh, but uh, so at the end, I had this piece, and uh, the piece was uh, eight minutes minute long. And uh, I wanted, I, I felt that when you arrived at the end of the piece, it's like when uh, the, the, you know, you have the alarm, the, the ring, you know, and it's finished to boil. And uh, that's it you can eat <laughs> so the title itself is like really kind of metonymic like it is you know the title of the piece but it also came eight minutes after like the boiling of the piece and the piece like takes eight kind of eight minutes ish to perform yeah. so hmm. maybe that's i don't know maybe the title should just be at the end of the score Good now idea. we're eight minutes after boiling yeah i, I will put it at the end of the score <laughs> oh i will return uh, it's it's made or it's ready at the end it's cooked yeah. Wait, why is it kitschy for a, a French dude to like be um, nostalgic or sentimental about his kitchen? Yeah, but I'm not <laughs> sure it has any kind of link with the fact I'm French. I like to cook, but I'm not a specially good cook. I'm not a chef. But also in my apartment, uh, my bed in, in the living room and as part of the living room is the kitchen. So I live also in the kitchen. And it was, I finished the piece during the lockdown and uh, it was probably a bad idea, but I, I, you know, I have just a second room and with my office, it's here. And uh, I took all my uh, home studio, all my uh, devices, all the things I used to work and I put it in the same room. So I was in my kitchen in a way to compose the piece. Yeah. So yeah, probably at least the end of the piece. So do you uh, feel like that changed your emotional relationship to the kitchen and to cooking? I don't know. It's totally possible. Uh, I, I feel sometimes I feel that uh, things are just uh, uh, the good balance, you know. So I feel sometimes when I compose or when I find a title, I think, okay, it's a good balance. It's what I need. It's a, it's just a strong feeling, which is not magical. Uh, it just probably I, if I analyze it, I could find a strong reason, but uh, I don't feel all the time the need to analyze. Even if I have this reflex, huh? I'm, some, I'm someone which is, I think, quite reflexive on myself, but uh, not for everything. When I feel it's a good balance, sometimes I just accept it. That's really wise. I have a lot to learn from that mentality. <laughs> um, I'm wondering, you mentioned Ellery's sounds, the sounds that he's making that sound kind of like scrambling eggs and stuff like this. I'm wondering if you could describe for the listener what you've written into Ellery's part, what the percussion part yeah. asks for and sounds like. So I use the different objects. So first, 
when I write for percussion, it's all the time like that. I don't want to use uh, huge, massive uh, percussions. It can create other difficulties because I use uh, found objects sometimes. So it's hard for a musician to find the good one. Huh? You, and you know that. Uh, yeah. But uh, at least when you have it, after you can bring it, bring it in a little uh, wallet. No, not wallet, a little suitcase. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's easy. It's practical. Uh, and I, I really like the practical, all the practical aspects in music. It doesn't mean that I write the practical music and you know it, <laughs> but uh, it means that I like to think about the practical incidents of everything, which is really hard because I use a lot of uh, uh, unstable uh, material, but also it's a question of, uh, of uh, be able to make this music work. If you're not practical, it's impossible. So I'm struggling a bit with it. But to, to come back to the question. So first, I, I, I want to use uh, practical percussions. So I use the two different metal sheets. sheets. I, I yes. must not mispronounce that. The <laughs> uh, <laughs> so metal plate, let's say, textile metal plate. And uh, for years, I use it in many play, pieces. Uh, so I know really well this sound material and I really love it. So often when I discover other kind of material with other instruments, I'm already thinking, okay, I could use it with that. And I think about relationships uh, between uh, sound objects because I think all, all the time like that. I never, I never think about the sound object like, just like that. Just what kind of relation I could create with others sounds so I, I use these metal flexible metal plates i use the glasses uh, because i think i saw a, a piece in spain some years ago where someone was using glasses in water it was in a really subtle way and i i always wanted to use it again it was also because some of these objects also i have a curiosity i want to do research on it i don't use any all the results of my research, huh? uh, I do a selection, but I, I, I would say I, I do maybe one month, three weeks of research, it's time uh, before a piece. So I use these glasses, which were already in my kitchen. By the way, the pitch in the glasses, they are important, but they are not important because I add the harmony ID and after I choose the right glasses, but because I choose these glasses, they add an harmonic incidence as an influence on the piece. Uh, in the part of the flute and the, the yeah, there is literation in the part of the flute and the clarinet with these glasses. So yeah, that's why it was such a complicated story for you to find the right glass. <laughs> <laughs> because in America, they are lower the glasses. I didn't understand the story. <laughs> you had big glasses and... Uh, so, because I have a lot of this, this glass with this exact pitch, I have almost 10 glasses like that uh, at home. Uh, even, even my father has this pitch. <laughs> so I could send it by, by a plane if you need it. But it's anyway. It's like the tuning of American orchestras. <laughs> it's like two, two to three cents lower. Yeah. Everything. So it's all the found objects that I, I had around me and, and things I wanted to research on. And I start from the material. I never start from a conceptual uh, idea. Uh, the concept emerged from the, the, the material. There's also a, a, a tube that goes into the water that the glasses are played in, right? That uh, gets breathed it, into. Yeah, ah, yes, of water course, to make bubbles. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, I, I composed it one year ago now. So, <laughs> so of course. 
Yeah, a tube that you have to bring it like that in the water, because if you bring it like that, it doesn't sound the good way. It's uh, it's a mess. And there's also That's water in the bass clarinet too. So the bass clarinet is also like a long yeah. tube with water. Yeah, um, water, and and it's a shame because I use it maybe on two bar. Yeah, I think you use it three times. Yes. <laughs> but it sounds really good yeah, all of those times. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we had a joke in rehearsal where I had to like lay down like little sheets of paper to like collect the water that would come out the low C key whenever I was playing the rest of the piece. But then, you know, just yeah, when we played it, it sounded great. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. Well, I kind of had a question that came to mind while you were speaking. Um, so much of our work these days, like happens in a sort of domestic space. Like mm -hmm. I also sort of live in my kitchen and work in my kitchen and work in my bedroom. And yeah, I was just wondering about like the process of finding these sounds and the mentality of just like constantly sort of being on the lookout and the sort of shift of perception or like the shift of listening that needs to happen to be on the ready to recognize something as like potential, you know, that yeah. might not be immediately, you know, understandable as a musical sound. In fact, my, the idea that I develop, which is not something that I, uh, I mean, it's an idea that I probably share with a lot of composers, but I put my own, own words on that, okay? So it's yeah. sound, articulated sound energy. So it's exactly that. It's in fact, it's a concentration on, on the two aspects of the sounds, which are not all the aspects of the sound, but the, it's the two aspects which touch me the most in sounds. It's uh, the impression of tension or absence of tension in the sound, and also the impression of direction. Uh, so these two aspects, which are uh, close, in fact, uh, with that, you can create discourse, so movement, tension, the release, but also you can consider any sound entity is like that. Each time you, in your uh, own life you listen to, to any sound, you can consider it in this way. So I, I'm obsessed with that for years. So each time in my daily life, when I hear sounds, it, it could create uh, inspiration. Uh, it doesn't, I'm not uh, all the time thinking about that, huh? but uh, it can happen. Um, so, uh, it shows that uh, living in my kitchen, in a way, uh, had a big influence on the result of my music. But I'm moving. I will not live anymore in, in my kitchen, so no boiling anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what would happen if Pierre Schaeffer lived in his kitchen? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah. But by the way, I, I, it's in, interesting because I didn't uh, feel so much the influence of Pierre Schaeffer. He, he, he did uh, also, uh, he did this uh, way of classification of sounds, but I felt a bit frustrated with the way he was doing it, which was mm -hmm. uh, uh, not enough functional for me. It was almost a visual classification of sound, if uh, I want to simplify it. Uh, I am not really visual. Uh, I'm not really my emotion or my sensitivity doesn't pass so much by the visual aspect, even if I'm really sensitive to visual arts, but uh, it's not something, the most natural thing for me. So I'm really, uh, my imagination is more about sounds than uh, images. I'm wondering if I could um, ask you to describe a little bit more what you mean by tension when you're talking about articulated sound energy having these kind of two two main expressive zones. What is, how does the tension manifest for you? 
it's a good question. Yeah, I think it's something, uh, I don't know if it's a subjective, we can say a subjective things or if it's a scientist things. I, I even, I don't care. I'm sure that other human beings will have the same perception of that. Well, it's, it's hard and it's a bit pretentious to, to think that we can control the musical experience of everybody. Uh, you, you cannot that. So everybody come with his, uh, his stories, his experience of the sound world. So this classification come from my own experience. So I think there is two different things. There is aspects which are objective. Like when you have a boiling, it's really nervous. And there is some aspects which are just recalling you uh, some experience that you have some from the material. Like at the edge of the seizure, we can say the seizure, like you have a piece of wood and it, you see? So here it's a seizure, but the, all the moment before when it, here you hear tension because you have the experience of this wooden piece, which is, uh, or you know, the boat, which is going to collapse. You have this experience of that. If you have a sound which evocates that, you will feel a tension in your body, I think. Uh, but everybody is different. We have not all the same empathy. empathy. Um, do, does it make sense, empathy, as a word in English? Uh, empathy. Okay. Empathy. Yes. Yes. Empathy, French and English, just a question of an accent. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. so empathy. Uh, so empathy, uh, it's a question of empathy uh, with the... Uh, empathy is not just with others, but with uh, the way you feel the, the world, uh, which is outside of yourself. Uh, so I, I don't have a pretension to create a language which is scientific for everybody. Uh, it's my feeling. It's, it comes from my feeling. So it's like a, uh, like an empathetic physical tension to exactly. the sound. Oh, I'm so that's so exciting yeah. to me. You know, as someone who's putting the sounds together, we get invited kind of into your the, your physical experience of that. What what yeah. is creating tension, etc., tension and direction for your physical body, which is a very cool way of connecting. And it's, it's what is uh, really important for me. It's like I have this physical perception of the sound. I, when I, I write a piece, I, I really put in it my emotion, what I really want to exist and which doesn't exist yet in my knowledge. Huh? And after, once it exists, it's so good to feel that a few people don't need to be uh, one million, but a few people like it because it means that my experience is not just a totally, I'm not crazy. Well, it's, it's a proof that I'm not crazy and it, feel, it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much and, and, and really identify with that. Um, would you say that that's kind of what started you composing in the first place? This feeling uh, of like connection there or? Yes, I think so. It, it was a long process because I don't have any musician in my family. Everything was good, but just nobody was in this uh, in this um, in this field around me. So in fact, I discovered music quite late. Around I would uh, quite late. I was ten years old. Huh? Uh, it was <laughs> late, but it's not like when your parents put you in the little conservatory. Uh, in France, there is a lot of little conservatory. It's really practical. Uh, so it was a summer when I was 10 years old and one of my cousins uh, lent a CD, the greatest hit of Beach Boys, <laughs> 
<laughs> to my to my sister. Uh, and so I, I took the CD, I listened to it, and one of the tracks I don't remember because I didn't listen Beach Boys since I'm 13 years old. Uh, but it's cool. I, in fact, I, I have listened again a bit recently, and it's not that bad. <laughs> it's a whole vibe. I the yeah. first CD that I ever bought with my own my own money, you know, like money you make from like weeding the driveway or whatever. It was probably around when I was nine or 10 and it was also the Beach Boys. No. I had Beach Boys as well, okay. except on cassette tape. And I would listen to it repeatedly. <laughs> Help Me Rhonda was literally my favorite song. <laughs> and I listened to it recently and still got like, you know, little tingles. Okay. This is actually a Beach Boys fan club Zoom call, right? <laughs> but maybe, maybe my Whoa. music. Is the for empathy people who is like strong. Beach Boys. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we, we have something here. <laughs> Maybe that's why we felt so kindred with it immediately. We were like, got to be true to your school. Hence the yeah. water connections, you know. <laughs> exactly. Got the beach water. is in your clarinet. Yeah. yeah. And, in the and I did bodyboard one time in my life I, for 10 minutes. So maybe I'm a kind of beach boy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I had this CD and there is a track. I don't remember the name of this track. And at this time, I, I didn't speak a word of English. But so there was a, a solo guitar uh, in the kind of uh, Johnny B. Good Sony, uh, solo guitar. And for a kid that I was, it was something magical. It was something amazing. Uh, and uh, I think I had this feeling that uh, maybe when you, want, you are a kid, you want to be a bit a magician. And uh, you, maybe you want to have a power on the reality. And, and these things make me so much emotion that at this second, I talked to my mother and I said, uh, it was the summer, so uh, the, I, I could ask, it was a perfect time to ask her to, to go in a music school uh, at, in September, you know. Uh, it takes five minutes, maybe. Yeah, I listened to it, I went to my mother and said, I need to do music because it totally blew my mind. It was, I don't know if you already experienced that. I didn't experience it so much in my life, but it's like you, you feel something here and uh, like you are, I don't know, it's, it creates something in your mind uh, with the music and it's really weird, a bit an impression of, of you took drug. Uh, not necessarily with the best music, by the way, but I think I experienced that when I was 10 for the first time and after, from this moment I wanted to be able to recreate it but when I was a kid uh, I didn't know any difference between being composer and being a player there is no difference when you're a kid so I started to do guitar uh, I was struggling a lot with the instrument because I had a it was not for my body in fact so I I I I I I, I finished the conservatory, uh, also I was trembling a lot, so when I'm stressed I can uh, uh, a lot um, trembling. So I was taking beta blocant, I was not happy with uh, being a performer, uh, it was not for me, I was better in my rooms than on the stage and a good performer is always better on the stage, he feels that is. Uh, so at this moment, I understood. I was in a rock band, and uh, I really like to do the arrangements. And I, I really like to find weird arrangements. Even I don't know. I don't like so much this concept of weird things, but unusual arrangement. I was searching to 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 unusual things. So I had already this taste at eighteen. I would say. And after step by step, I was le less and less a performer and more and more a composer. 
do you still play a little bit even just for yourself like the yes, guitar yes, or yes, others? yes no I, I keep my level let's say and i think even i have a more healthy relationship with my instrument i'm not working anymore five hours a day i i'm a bit less stressed when i play in front of people i don't use any more uh, beta blocant and actually i teach so i finished the conservatory so i have my diploma and i i really love the pedagogy also it's also the practical aspect i really love to speak about interpretation so i teach classical guitar in a conservatory um, which makes me me free from the composition uh, I'm not obliged to overcompose every day, every year to, to pay my, my rent. Yeah. And I love to teach, by the way. I would prefer to teach composition, maybe in the future, but, but uh, I would not say I, I'm, a, I'm still in love with this instrument. If I would be eight years old, probably I would choose another instrument. But uh, I still uh, find a, an interest in the way you can produce the gesture and all these aspects that you use in pedagogy. I teach in a little conservatory. So in France, to be clear, because in in US, the system is very different. So in, in French, you have a lot of public conservatory in each single little city. It's not necessarily expensive. Uh, well, the system is, is going to change, of course, because uh, they are restricting everything. But at least we still have uh, it from the 60s, from after the Second World War, we have the system. And it's really practical because I was in a, in a, I grew up in a working class uh, suburb uh, and there was this conservatory. Everybody in my school knew it. Not everybody was going there, but uh, you have access. If your parents were poor, you could pay almost nothing to go there. There was different uh, tariffs. So it was really cool. Uh, this thing, I, I'm so happy. Uh, I'm, I was really lucky. Uh, so I, I teach in this kind of conservatory. I think it's 18 hours a week. So it let me time to compose. And also I have the, the holidays also to compose. So I have a good balance of life, I think. You mentioned that you're not sure like if you we're picking like your instrument if, if you went back in time that I'm it... sure I will not I'm sure I will not. <laughs> do you have an idea of what you would choose it's odd because I'm hesitating a lot uh, I, love I mean other than right. flute of course because flute is the flute. best it would be flute but uh, uh, after flute uh, it's really hard I think to decide I would like to, to be able to play any instrument. I have a lot of instruments at home, by the way. Oh, you see a cheap violin here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really cheap. Huh? Not, not violin I play because I don't like this position, um, but maybe a saxophone. Saxophone is fascinating. Uh, yeah. The sound wall you can have in saxophone, uh, all the possibilities. It's fascinating, and, and uh, you need a lifetime to understand uh, all these things. Uh, of course, clarinet, for sure. Oh, I think a wind instrument would be, uh, I'm not saying that because you're here. Uh, <laughs> so maybe not percussion. Uh, it's yeah. too, too hard. <laughs> this would be, I want to compose. I don't have time to, to learn a uh, hundred instruments. All the French people have like who play clarinet have amazing embouchure because it's just like, it's all these like valve formations, like within the mouth that like kind of come from. French. It's really interesting yeah. this aspect because yeah, yeah. it had these aspects, the difference of language. Uh, it had an influence in the vocal uh, part that I wrote because I, I work with Charlotte. Uh, I had some ideas and I did. I knew that these ideas 
was linked from uh, my language ability. So I need to check. And with the American accent, you have different possibilities. So I had to find a, a balance between these things. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. I really love these kind of things, by the way. I'm really curious if you could talk a little bit more about that. Okay. How so, that manifested in the piece and, and, and your thinking around this in general. So I can even give example with my voice. Uh, <laughs> so I, in fact, I'm really fascinated by a singer. I prepare her name because I, I was sure we will speak spoke about it. It's uh, Agnes uh, Vizdalek. I guess she's, uh, she's an improviser. So I can put the name in the chat if you want. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll put her in the show notes. Well, uh, I don't her, know her personally, but uh, I know her video, and it's amazing. She's an improviser. She she developed a really personal technique, and one of these techniques that she used, and I wanted to check with uh, Charlotte, and it doesn't work with the American accent. Uh, maybe if you speak uh, uh, East language, uh, East Europe language, you could do it, but it's, it's this thing. I don't it's hard also for me. Huh? Wait, I, I, will, I will do it. <laughs> I, and I look stupid. I don't. I will do it. I will do it. You, you, you hear this kind of... Uh, uh, well, I don't do it so well because I, I, I didn't practice. <laughs> but uh, but you, you hear this kind of really uh, granular sound. And it's come from the ability to hold the air, like... Like in the old French way, but now nobody speaks like that. Or in yeah. East language, uh, Russian, or I don't know. Uh, they do. But so when you're American, you don't do that. So you have to, maybe, I don't know if it's possible, it's probably possible, it depends on uh, people, but it's harder. So, so I, I, I've been uh, wise to, to check it. And after we, we work with Charlotte and from her own ability, because she's also an improviser, I think. Huh? So she, she, she presented me also her material. I, I already knew I didn't want to write a vocal part. If for totally psychoanalytic reason, huh? uh, it's because I I don't want uh, if if you write a vocal part, you have a, a human being. Maybe I'm totally crazy, huh? but uh, you you have a human being in the middle of your piece. It's not that I'm selfish and I don't want that anybody uh, takes the the you know. But it's it's I'm 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 so obsessed by by relationship between sounds that if you have an, a, a human being uh, which is like like a theater event, in fact, when you have a singer, you have theater. You you shift a bit the, the way of uh, listening of the piece. So it's really hard for me to write for the piece. And I think the experience I had from Agnes Vidalek, it's uh, Vidalek. Uh, totally give me a lot of perspective on the voice, not necessarily on her technique, but the way I work with uh, Charlotte, I, I was extremely happy with the, 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 the material I could find with her. So, so I knew that I will use her the same way. Oh, use her, it's really bad. Uh, I'm sorry, it's just because I have a, a, a bad English, but um, I would say it, it's, it's true that the way I use instrument, in fact, is I consider the instrument like uh, not with their tradition, but with the, all their possibility of um, resonance. And it's true that when you work with voice, there is an ethical dimension. So I think I, I, I 
pay attention to that. But uh, it's still uh, complicated to, to, to find the good balance between the needs that I have to not do a theatrical situation and the need to respect a human body. body. It's interesting because it creates a lot of ethical uh, uh, perspective and, I, and, and sometimes I fail. Huh? Uh, uh, sometimes I do some things which are not comfortable for the instrument, for the player, so uh, it's hard to find a good balance. Uh, also, to to take the instrument outside of that tradition, you bring people outside of their, uh, I don't like the expression, but comfort zone, but that is a good way, you know, they use that in management. I really don't like this, this point of view, but uh, we, we have, I think, an, a, a performer, he has a way to be to melt his body with the instrument and to change it you can create a discomfort and you can create a discomfort and it's a problem so it's the balance between realizing my dream and to not create too much discomfort for the performer and i don't promise that i i success all the time sorry if you had discomfort in the piece <laughs> okay. i did not have discomfort in the piece. I'm just really excited about melding our bodies with our instruments. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make sense in a hundred percent? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. And I love the like tender, humble approach to the lines of when you're pushing things, you find the lines and sometimes those lines are discomfort. And I like the way mm. that you're, that you're approaching that. So the collaboration kind of took a, a handful of different forms. Um, do you want to, Kind of fill us in on how that went down and, and um, um, yeah, how the change shaped any of the process. So what changed, it's, well, it's hard to, to know how it changed because who could know what would happen if I could have been in New York and work together. If sure, it would have been so good, but, uh, and so much simple. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I don't know uh, if he would have been. Uh, I, I have no idea. What done. But uh, what it changed that the lockdown gave me and more time. And in fact, I totally changed the piece, the end of the piece. Uh, I had a f uh, end. I was not happy with it, and I took one more month to finish it. And uh, on the collaboration, I I felt uh, a bit frustrated to not be able to communicate well with you because I was uh, and I had a talk with interesting with Charlotte. Uh, which, who told me that I was uh, too much focused on details, and she was totally right. She, she thought it was it was a way that people work in uh, Europe. I think I'm I'm really focused on details at the beginning, uh, and the fact that we were at distance, uh, <laughs> it was too long on these details. And uh, also, when you you on at the rehearsal, you can speak of the details really fast, speak about the whole piece, and uh, you can. Uh, but I was too much focused on the practical aspects, uh, because I like practical aspects. Uh, uh, so this thing, I would have changed it. And, and it's, it was uh, really hard to write in English. Why <laughs> uh, well, not? No, not really hard. And, uh, don't, uh, it was OK to, to write in English, but it's, it, was, uh, it, it added a bit of stress. Ah, yes. 
Right. But uh, at the end, I was really happy uh, with the collaboration. Also, yeah, it's a pity because th this being at the rehearsal and exchange with musicians is a really huge part of the pleasure that you have as a composer. So it took me a bit sad, but... Yeah, okay. same. A lot of the pleasure that we get as performers, yeah. too, is like in the, in the communing together. Of and course. communing around the creation, yeah. So this is a question that I added to the Google Doc, and I'm sorry for it in advance, but it's the question that I am most personally excited about, so I am going to ask it. <laughs> um, how would you describe what makes you feel most alive in the entire world? It's a really good question. I really love this question, by the way. It's a great question. So, and there is a lot of things which make me happy. I have to say, and sometimes I feel a bit guilty, but I, I, I feel I'm happy. For, for 10 years, I'm really happy. Uh, since I'm a composer, I, I'm happy. Uh, the world is totally collapsing around me, and uh, I'm not happy about that. I'm not selfish about that. Uh, uh, I try in an humble way to, to, to struggle with other people to, to not let the, the world collapse. But in my uh, daily uh, bubble, it's not a bubble, but my uh, apartment, it's not. I, I would say, say, say it much better in French, trust me. Uh, uh, I, I feel really happy in the quality of the relationship I have, any kind of relationship. Huh? Uh, and uh, also in the professional field, it's really weird because from the moment, I, before I, I had a boring life, not sad, but boring life. And from the moment I started to become a composer, I started to be a composer. I started to to find some people who wanted to work with me. All the pieces of the puzzle uh, came together. Yeah, of course, I have some, uh, some fears all the time, uh, but uh, I'm extremely lucky. But things which make me happy, so concerning my music, there is two things. Uh, the first thing is when I discover that a piece that I compose works, because I use, you saw it, I use a lot of uh, how to say that um, unstable elements or elements which are so related to the physics of the instruments I work with that you change the instruments. You, we saw that with the clarinet, yeah, there was little differences in the multiphonics I used. So I love to struggle with a lot of practical uh, issues uh, and to find the good level of difficulties. And, and, and when it works and I'm happy with the piece, it's, I'm so happy. Uh, it makes me feel so good. Uh, I, I don't need that uh, many, many, many people love it. And, but I'm sure that when I'm happy with the piece and it works, I'm sure that some people will love it. Uh, or love or like it at least um and uh also i like to drink coffee <laughs> it makes me happy <laughs> when when i wake up and i think about the coffee uh, with a bit of sugar and uh, milk it makes me happy i like this moment of the year when uh the days is more, more uh long and it starts to be a bit warmer <laughs> it makes me also <laughs> extremely anxious because it's not supposed to be warm like that, <laughs> but uh, it can make me happy. And uh, also, I like to struggle. Uh, I will say that. I, I, when, when uh, uh, you know, it's like that for everybody. Sometimes you, your life can be bring in a situation that you find is unfair. Your life, your personal life, or the life for your society. You know? And when you, you struggle to, to not let it happen, uh, I feel 
uh, it makes me really happy. Yeah, I had a situation like that recently. Uh, not, not me, but someone I'm really near. And uh, it was awful. I, it was extremely stressful. Uh, but the fact that uh, there, there was a... Uh, this person didn't accept the situation and I, I helped this person to, to struggle to not let these things happen. It makes you feel stronger, in fact. I like to go in strikes. I'm really French. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm Marxist. I don't know if I should say that to Americans. You should say it. <laughs> this is Podcast a good place is. for that. And, this is a good yeah. place and, for and, that. Uh, and by the way, Marxism had a, a huge influence of uh, the point of view on sound, because before the, I would say the dynamical uh, perception of sounds was really uh, intuitive, uh, but the uh, angle theory of um, dialectic of nature, that there is a kind of a, a form of anything, even a rock, uh, as a beginning, uh, sustain and end, to be really simple. Huh? Uh, you, you can consider a sound like that. So everything is a process, in fact. Nothing is, a, that's the difference between conservatives and I don't like the word progressives, but, uh, but uh, the inverse vision of the world is that you know that there is no things which remain forever. And uh, that's that's uh, why you accept evolution of the societies not all the evolution but you 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 don't put all your uh, uh, wish in in life to conserve the emotion you have when you were a kid the, the emotion you had in your your model of family the emotion you had uh, in the advantage that you had and all these things you can you can uh, well i think well it's idealistic in in the best ways like that because we are not not everybody is just conservative or progressist. We are all the time uh, struggling because of these two aspects. But uh, yes, so these things make me happy to, to struggle. <laughs> um, maybe just bouncing off of that, what do you find inspiration in? Maybe in the arts, but also kind of like in daily life or like human experience? It's hard to say because uh, I will not say it's separated because it's never separated. But uh, when I compose, it's a lot with uh, emotion I feel. So it's a lot of instincting aspects. So it's hard to, to be all the time conscious that from where comes the thing. So there is a lot of ethical uh, questions that are here and it's a balance between all the aspects, your dreams, the ethical aspects, uh, and of course, Sometimes it's more the dreams. Uh, I, I should maybe work on it. But uh, let's speak about the situation now, for instance, uh, where everything is changing really fast. Uh, me, uh, my methodology and the way I'm working is not uh, in a crisis with this crisis. For a performer, it's totally changed everything. For me, the way I work, it remains the same. It's even maybe... It's uh, the life of composer. In fact, the lockdown is the life of composer. So when there is no, it's really Marxist way of thinking, but there is, when there is no crisis in a praxis, you're not going to consider another kind of praxis. So I think I, I'm aware about things around and I also all the time uh, uh, thinking about my praxis, looking at that. But um, but I will not say that the, the COVID changed anything uh, for now. And I think it will change in the future because it's sure that it will have incidents, but it's too early now. I'm, I just want to say that I'm really delighted that you mentioned 
the rock and the structure of the rock because I was talking with Marina about questions and I was like, I'm so bad at coming up with questions. All I want to ask people is how they feel about rocks. <laughs> and you <laughs> kind of described that. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But rocks is a dynamic thing. People, we perceive it like something which is uh, all the time the same. When you say this guy is a rock, it's, it's, it will never change. You know? But the rock is a total uh, uh, transformation all the time. Everything is transforming all the time. So we should not be nostalgic. Oh, we should, we can. Uh, it's not a bad thing. We should care of the past and to, to I mean, to, to take lessons from the past. But we, we have to be uh, not grow up to accept that things change. And uh, if it respects the dignity of people, there, there is no reason to, to be afraid of that. So speaking about the future or things that come and change, etc. Um, what is coming up for you? So I, I, I will have a vinyl, which is going to release, which is funny. It's an independent label, uh, uh, American, by the way, again, which is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, it and most, uh, I, I have no idea how to pronounce the name of this label, but it's going to be on a bad camp and it's really limited uh, things, you can order it. So label, which is in the main, and I have no idea what it means, by the way, if you can explain me. Um, uh, I believe that it's called and most is that correct? That's it. That's and it. Most. What does it mean? And most is this awesome label based in Maine. My understanding of the word is that it's something that is covered with moss. Yeah. Moss. Okay, I like don't know the word moss. Embrace or um, emboss ah, or encompass in most. But the, the guy of this label is incredible. It's a guy who has just a passion for. Uh, kind of, uh, I would say, uh, underground music. It's mostly uh, electronic music. And he found me and he wrote me and said, he would like to do a, a vinyl. And I said, yes. So it's with recording, which already exists. Uh, but uh, yeah, it will be a really nice object. It, it's a friend of me who did the pick. Uh, it's a kind of fire. It's really nice. A really, it's a composer, uh, Florent Caron, Daras, who is a composer and also photographer. And he's good in the two fields. So I'm really happy of that. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm finishing a piece uh, for this initiative. I finished it, but I'm engraving it. It's like an infinity of time. Uh, and uh, I developed a bit more the technique on the, on the flexible metal plates. Uh, now I use a super ball on it. Yeah, uh -huh. so it's improving. <laughs> uh, so the piece is, is, is written all around one single big metal plate. Uh, it's for uh, flute, again, violin and percussion. After that, uh, I have a piece for electric guitar, which should be for Darmstadt, but who knows what is going to happen in, in the summer. So just to, uh, <laughs> just to double your hype there, um, Julien's new album is called Articulated Sound Energy and comes out on the 26th of March. Yeah, that's... That's this month somehow <laughs> and is up for pre-order presently on Bandcamp. Mm, it's, uh, and you should also check all the catalog of this label. There. I also discovered some people I didn't know and I really like uh, the curating work that do this guy. Oh, a cat. Wow. <laughs> or maybe Tony's a tiger. A I'm not sure. It, it may be a tiger. In fact. It's definitely a tiger. <laughs> definitely a tiger. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Well, Julian, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thanks for, yeah. this, is, this has been like really interesting and really enjoyable. Pleasure. And we'll, we'll speak soon. Yes. Bye. Bye. This has been the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 19, with Julian Melosena. The music in this episode is from Julian's piece, Eight Minutes After Boiling, which Talk will release this spring. If you're enjoying the Talk Editions Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it so others can find it. This episode was produced by Charlotte Mundy and Marina Kifferstein and edited by Charlotte Mundy. For more information about Talk, go to talkensemble.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>